This is the Rocky Mountain Review Podcast. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson. And I'm your other co-host, Julia Badalese. This is the Rocky Mountain Review, the live news show that airs 4 to 5, Tuesday and Thursday, on KCSU that has turned into a podcast. And this is what you missed this week. Five, four, three, two, one. I'm Julia Badalese. And I'm Gabe Peterson. And you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. And welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Julia Badalese. I'm one of two co-hosts in here. I'm in here with Gabe Peterson, my co-host. How's it going? Good. Um, We're also in here with, it's John Geller, right? Correct. Okay, good. I was like, I feel like I know it, but I start talking and then I forget. Uh, (laughs) Which we will be interviewing here in just a second about the Street Dog Coalition. Um, We also have our two correspondents in the room, our national news correspondent, J.D. Layton. Oh, uh, howdy. As well as Raven color our local and community correspondent yellow <laughs> um and gabe do you want to just give us a quick rundown for the show yeah so we have a great show for you guys uh we're going to start our show off with the interview with john geller founder and director of the street dog coalition here in fort collins then we'll move on to local and sports and we will do a wonderful segment done by raven color uh, we move on to a comfort dog that is found in florida as well as the recent incident with the flyers surrounding campus Uh, Coming back, we'll do a national and global news. We will talk about the new taxes implemented by the Trump administration. Uh, DACA deadline has passed. And then the rise of populism uh, around the world. Jump into our music segment with Haley, and we will finish with weather. Everyone's favorite segment. Everyone's. (laughs) All right. Well, um, let's get into the interview. Um, John, so you started this back in 2015, right? That's right. Um, So was there a specific experience that prompted uh, the making of the Street Dog Coalition? Yeah, it was just kind of one of those moments. I was in uh, Nashville and was walking across the bridge, and there was this uh, homeless guy with his pit bull just sitting on top of the bridge, and it was kind of he's giving me this look of, uh, number one, he was kind of accepting what was going on, but number two is kind of like, hey, maybe you could do something. Hmm. And, you know, as a veterinarian, when you see pets, you're, you're always wanting to help in any way you can. But I realized just, I, I kind of got an awareness of the homeless and how tough it is for them on the streets. And then you add a pet in there and suddenly their lives become much harder. So the ones that have pets are really dedicated to them. Hmm. Um, so did you, you had a veterinary experience before this, right? Um, what was that, what was that like? <laughs> you mean working as a veterinarian? Yeah. Yes, I work as an emergency veterinarian here in Fort Collins at Mm. the uh, emergency hospital, 24 hours. And we see all kinds of things. But it's usually uh, pretty expensive when we do take care of people's pets. There's always lots of issues that come up about the cost of care. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's pretty sad. We might have to euthanize a pet because folks don't have, have money. And that's a stress that veterinarians face. And being able to do this work for free is just feels real freeing up of of some of that stress Hmm. um so it's just tuesdays that the coalition's open right well we we operate on lots of different levels so locally we we see people's pets and provide free veterinary care every tuesday at the murphy center and then about every month we do a street clinic up and down the front range Mm -hmm. so we'll be doing one for collins in april uh one in South Fork Collins in May, and then Boulder in June, Denver in July. Mm-hmm. We just did one in Colorado Springs. And then we're also, we also have teams set up in big U.S. cities. So we have, and that's expanding all the time. So we have about 10 teams set up in other cities. So did you, did you create those, the expansion of this program? Like, was it founded in Fort Collins and it's kind of like expanded to other areas? Or exactly. was it, oh, it was, so it wasn't, you had this, you implemented this idea into Fort Collins? Yeah, so we started in Fort Collins, and then just through networking, uh, we were able to recruit veterinarians and say, hey, I'd like to do this in my city. And we got some funding done and said, okay, we got enough money to get you all the supplies you need. It's all volunteer, so the big expense is supplies. And so it's relatively inexpensive uh, to run this nonprofit. So you kind of talked about just like being a veterinarian, um, having that stress that kind of comes in with maybe like euthanizing a pet that doesn't have the uh, financial ability to take care of it. Is this program kind of like a stress reliever and kind of a um, something you look forward to doing? 
Exactly. Yeah, that's why it's almost therapeutic for veterinarians to do it. So that's why it's so easy to get volunteers in other cities. Uh, and, and, and that's one of the big um, positives is it's, it does seem to be make everybody feel good. Mm-hmm. So I guess I was going to ask you if you have like a memorable experience, but it seems that down in Nashville, when you saw that pit bull, that was kind of the the click in your brain that kind of said that this is something that is a real problem and that needs to be taken care of. Is that one of the most memorable experiences you've had throughout these last three years of starting this program? Well, that did start it because, you know, it started the thought process. Hey, how do these people take care of these pets? They don't have any money. Uh, and then there's a sociologist that I connected with at CU Boulder that wrote a book called My Pet Always Eats First. And she's kind of, that's her, her main area of study. And she kind of turned me on to a lot of the other issues relating to pet ownership and being homeless. If you think about it, think about all the barriers. Well, it's hard to get into a homeless shelter if you've got a pet. Mm-hmm. There's some that, that'll let you in. It can be really hard to get on public transportation. With a pet, I've kind of checked out different cities. Some cities don't allow pets to travel at all. It's hard. How do you go for a job interview, hold down a job? You know, there's no doggy daycare. So it's um, kind of unraveled all these issues as I've gotten deeper into it. But I met this guy in Las Vegas. I went to a big event there where called Homeless Connect. About 5,000 people showed up. But only a couple of hundred of them have pets and uh, he was carrying his pit bull on his back like piggyback you know and everyone thought oh that was that was pretty cute but he said yeah I walk seven or eight miles a day like this and I took a look at his dog and his dog's front legs are splayed way outward he has these it's called angular limb deformities so he can only walk about a mile and then then his owner carries him everywhere the rest of the day and it would have cost you know, thousands of dollars to have fixed something like that. And it would have had to happen when the dog was younger. So when you treat these dogs, so say that maybe they have an issue that um, is going to take medication over like a prolonged period of time, do they have the opportunity to come back in or do you just kind of give them a one-time prescription for the animal and then they have to come back? We we usually figure our visits a one-time shot. A lot of people are, are very transitional and they tend to move around. So scheduling a follow-up appointment for two weeks may or may not work. Mm -hmm. I do it here in Fort Collins because I've gotten to know some of the pets and and they come to the Murphy Center on a regular basis. But if we're in a a big city clinic, we do everything we can for them at that one time, maybe give them some ideas for follow-up, and then just see what happens. Do you give, uh, I guess, meals or anything like – um, substantial to the pets like after they leave like do you take care of the pets for that day if they're if they haven't eaten that day do you guys feed them or is that kind of still up to the owner well we actually uh, we usually try to have give out pet food at these events where street clinics we're doing but along the same lines we actually try to provide a meal for the owners mm-hmm. so it's hard to get them to come in bring their pet in just because of things like transportation and, and the hassle of maybe waiting so we try to offer some kind of free meal, and that, that seems to really help. And that's where we've kind of spread out our services. We give them backpacks with hygiene kits and water bottles. And, you know, while we're there, why don't we yeah, do whatever good we can? And you accept more than just dogs, right? I mean, you do, you do all sorts of animals that homeless people would have? Yeah, we definitely have, have seen some cats. <laughs> uh, they're, they're a little bit more challenging haven't really seen maybe I've seen one guinea pig but for the most part as far as street animals go it's dogs and cats so when you first started this program it was probably like uh, um, it was probably hard to get a lot of people to maybe agree to like maybe fund and support this program has there been times like throughout that it has been difficult to keep this going and do you see it continuing or do you kind of see it just kind of staying uh, plateaued as it is no I think I, I'm sensing it's it's gaining momentum and funding has been tough I'm, I have to spend I the winter time's kind of our slower season because of the weather, so I spend my time trying to do some fundraising. But a lot of the drug companies that provide medications for animals are, are behind us, so they've been donating vaccines and medications, and we have been getting a lot of support uh, that way, and we're, you know, we're always applying for for grant funding. But the combination of, of pets and homelessness definitely strikes a chord with you know, a number of donors. And so we're, we're hopeful the money will keep coming in. Do you work with the veterinary sciences here at all? 
we do. We have a lot of vet students are pretty fired up about doing this. Um, and so they, they participate whenever they have time. Cool. Well, I think those are um, all the questions that I have for you. Uh, Julia, you have any more? Um, yeah. Um, sorry, I, I had a lot of questions, and then you guys started moving around, and now <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know what questions I have left. Um, so what do you think has been the key to the coalition's success so far? I think it's a combination of being sensible about what we can do and, and, and number one, trying to make it easy for, for these homeless pet owners to show up. There have been instances uh, where I've been involved where animal control m might be there or there might be you know some police presence, and that'll keep folks away mm -hmm. because of other issues. So by creating a really user-friendly environment, we do more than just preventive care. Like uh, today I had to uh, drain blood from an ear of a pit bull had an oral hematoma. So we try to try to go that extra mile and do everything we can in the field. That's kind of part of what makes it fun for veterinarians to do it. It's, it's street medicine. Human docs are doing the same thing. They're going out to encampments. I was just at a place called the Santa Ana River uh, Riverbed bike trail where, where there's encampments extend for three miles on both sides of the trail. And mm -hmm. most of them have pets. And you literally could just roll a bicycle up that trail with a medical kit on it and provide care as you go. So we're trying to get that project started with some vet students out there. Hmm. Um, I think my final question is also, like, what do you think the uh, importance is of helping these animals for the homeless? Because I think you mentioned it on the website, because um, I was looking at that, and it seemed like um, you felt, I don't know, I don't want to put any words in your mouth. You, you let me know. <laughs> okay, well, again, because... It's so challenging for them to have pets. These pets sometimes define their purpose in life, and literally they have said that. They say, you know, I have no reason to get up in the morning. No one cares if I get up. No one cares if I do anything. But I've got this pet with me, and he's probably my only friend because homelessness can also be in friendlessness. There's so much social dysfunction. So they, they kind of live. The pet is what they live for. It gives them purpose in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so that, that bond between between that and their social isolation and even protection for women that are living on the street um, it kind of creates the environment where it, it it does become more important. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John Geller. I think we're, uh, we're running out of time, so we're going to wrap the interview up. But that was an interview done with John Geller, uh, founder and director of the Street Dog Coalition. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break here at the Rocky Mountain Review. But when we come back, we are going to jump in local and sports. So stay tuned. Yep, you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Don Corleone, thank you so much for seeing me. I know you're a very busy man. It's not a problem, my friend. How can I be of service to you? I need a favor, my godfather. It's, it's the CSU students. They... They want to listen to KCSU while they may not be able to tune into the radio. They may be studying or, or out of town or... Easy, easy, my friend. I've already heard this request. It is done. How, how, how do you mean? I have already made arrangements. KCSUFM.com is fully functional so they can listen wherever and whenever they want to online. Don Corleone, that's, that's brilliant. How did you get that to happen? <laughs> I gave them an offer they couldn't refuse. KCSU, Godfather approved. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Julie Batalise, one of two co-hosts here. I am here with my co-host, Gabe Peterson. Hello. Uh, we also have Bjorn Larson, our sports reporter. How's it going? Good. And we also have J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. Oh, hello there. And Raven Color, our local and community correspondent. Sorry, it's a lot of C's. You're going to get used to that. I, <laughs> eventually, yes. Um, anyway, yeah, we're going to start and we're going to get into sports, actually. So I'm going to throw it over to Bjorn. Yeah, the Colorado State lacrosse team road trip to Oregon this past weekend to take on the University of Oregon and Oregon State. The Rams started off slow, losing to Oregon 13-4, which was the team's first loss of the season. In the second game of the weekend, CSU finally found their groove. They defeated Oregon State in a close match 13-11. to 
CSU's Gabe Remshart came away with the player of the game with a few goals. The men will hit the road for their next games as they travel to take on Georgia Tech and Georgia on March 9th through 10th. The CSU women's basketball team got some good news ahead of the Mountain West tournament. Senior guard Hannah Turvdy and freshman guard Grace Kolovulu each earned annual accolades from the Mountain West Conference. The conference selected Turvdy to both All-Mountain West team and the Mountain West All-Defensive team, while Kolovalu received a spot on the Mountain West All-Freshman team. Along with Turdy's award-winning defense, the senior guard led the Rams with 13.2 points per game in conference play. Turvdy was the lone Ram to crack the 20-point threshold three times, highlighted by a 28-point double-double versus San Diego State. The CSU woman opened the 2017-18 Mountain West Championship with a first-round matchup against Fresno State today in Las Vegas. The CSU tennis team kept their hot streak going at home this weekend as they picked up two home wins against Omaha and Presbyterian. Regarding the home court advantage, head coach Jared Camrata said this, We had a very good crowd and couldn't have asked for better weather to begin March. The Rams' impressive execution during spring season sets them up well for the Mountain West play. CSU's 7-1 record in the last eight matches is the best eight-match stretch since 2004. They will be in action again on March 15th, taking on UC San Diego. And that wraps up your sports for thank, this Tuesday. Thank you very much, yeah. Bjorn. That was very well done, as always. Mm-hmm. But um, yes. So our next segment, we're actually going to jump into a segment done by our very own Raven Color. Uh, Raven, do you kind of just want to introduce this segment that we're about to play? Uh, sure. So um, I kind of had some curiosities. I'd spoke to some parents who had questions about what active shooter situations look like on CSU campus. Um, and I reached out to the CCUPD, and um, Chief Scott Harris agreed to talk to me. So that's what this is. Cool. Yeah, stay tuned. And uh, here you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review, only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Last week, a student at Central Michigan State University allegedly killed his parents in his dormitory. Three weeks ago, 17 high school students, teachers, and staff members were killed at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. The Columbine school shooting, which killed 13, occurred almost 20 years ago in the spring of 1999. With school shootings as a very real risk for American students, there are a myriad of questions which we want answered. I sat down with the CSUPD Chief of Police last week to discuss some of them. My name is Scott Harris. I'm the Chief of Police for Colorado State University. What should staff and students ideally do in an active shooter situation? Well, each event is unique in and of itself, and there's no prescribed immediate reaction that everyone can use. So what we advocate, what we instruct are basically three key words, which is run if it's safe. Once you run out, go to a safe spot and then dial 911 and notify police. The second one is hide if that's the only option that you have, and that's to hide in a a room, hide under a staircase, hide under a desk, turn off lights if you can barricade the door. And one important thing that people tend to forget in a situation like that is these are fast-moving events, but unfortunately because of social media, it's almost an immediate broadcast out that something is happening in a certain location. And rightfully so, concerned friends and parents and family will try to get hold of someone that they know may be at that location. And the logical thing to do is call them on their cell phone. And so if you're hiding and your cell phone rings, it might let someone know where you're at. So we advocate that you turn your phone on device or turn it off completely. If there's none of those available, then we advocate that you fight and protect yourself. What would you say is the worst possible thing that a student or staff member would do in that situation? In a situation like that, in my opinion, the worst possible thing would be attempting to de-escalate the situation with the person involved. Why doesn't CSU staff run active shooter drills? CSU Police Department has an active assailant instructional program that we give out. It's available through our website. It's available by request. It is recommended that you have at least five people to make it beneficial because typically those people would be co-workers or students in the same class or whatever, and that you have a location to provide for the training. In the past probably two years, we've reached well over 5,000 people here on campus. How frequently do people request that training? You know, it's, it's, a lot of it is reactive based upon an incident that may happen somewhere else. Then it, it spurs people's attention, and then we get those requests. But we get requests on a regular basis throughout the year as well. 
What educational resources outside of that training are there for active shooter situations available to students specifically? So again, they can go to our website, which is police.colostate.edu. There's a short video on there that's instructional. We have the classes again. Those are the two primary resources that the police department provides in terms of an active assailant type of situation. So what should staff and students do if they suspect somebody might commit a shooting? So there's a couple different avenues to go there. If, if someone is making statements, particularly in regards to self-harm, there are a number of resources here on campus that are available to that student to help them get through that crisis situation. The, the key point there is if someone is, hears someone making those types of statements about self-harm, we have a, a, an anonymous tip line called Tell Someone that goes to our Support and Assessment Center. Once they get it, they can evaluate it, and then they can provide resources that are available on campus to that student. If it's more of an aggravated type of incident where someone is actively making threats about doing harm to someone else, call police immediately. What are some warning signs that people should look out for? Each one of these situations is unique. You see the aftermath reported by media where they're interviewing neighbors or friends, and they have seen those warning signs, which most of them are indicative from some drastic change in behavior pulling away from groups, solitude, posts on social media that may be disturbing, those types of things. And so if you see that, the, the first reaction should be to report it. And we've seen that happen in other situations where people were aware that there was a change with an individual or there were statements made and, and didn't report it. And then when they're interviewed, they, they talk about what they had seen. If they can get in front of that and, and direct resources, law enforcement, mental health professionals, whatever it may be, to help that individual through that, then that's the best result. A lot of parents have had a lot of questions about what they can do to keep their kids safe, especially when their students go to a university out of state. Is there anything that parents can do or should be doing to protect their students? Typically, when a student comes here to CSU or to another university somewhere, they have already had either in grade school, mid-school, or high school some type of active assailant training that informs them of what they should do. As a parent of five college students, those were things that I went over with them prior to them leaving to go out of state to college. So I think that's important if a parent would reinforce those principles. Also, if a parent would educate themselves as to what resources are available at the institution that their student's going to. I think those are probably the safest and, and easiest and the most informative ways that a parent could help protect their child is just to make sure that they're aware of the resources, aware of the points to look for, things to do if one of their friends or someone else that they know makes disturbing statements so that they can report that either to police or to another campus resource for help. Are there any other comments on this topic that you'd like to make? I think the biggest thing is I would encourage anyone, student, staff, faculty member here on campus, if they see anything that they either feel is out of the norm or suspicious, not to wait, but to notify police right away so that we can investigate it. And that would be a big help to us. The community is, is our eyes as well, and, uh, and we rely on them. And having that availability of people who are close to others that may know something that the police are not aware of that we could assist with would be really important. From the Rocky Mountain Review, I'm Raven Culler. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Julia Batalise. Uh, I'm in here with my co-host, Gabe Peterson. Hello. Uh, as well as Bjorn Larson, our sports reporter. Hey. Uh, Judy Layton, our national news correspondent. That is indeed me. And Raven Culler, our local and community correspondent. I'm here. So many things. First of all, uh, great, great segment there, Raven. Yeah. Uh, very yeah. nice reaching out to um, such a prominent individual, especially for students here on Colorado State. So thank you so much for doing that. Yeah. Uh, moving on, we're going to continue our local segment. And I'm actually going to start that off with a story about a comfort dog that uh, visited the Florida high school students. Students at Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida returned to school last week after the February 14th shooting with a pleasant surprise. Students were greeted with a team of Golden Retriever Comfort Dogs, 11 of them to be exact. The Denver Post reports that Cubby, one of the 11 Comfort Dogs from the Lutheran Church Charities Canine Comfort Dogs program, made the trip to greet students all the way from Fort Collins, Colorado. Bonnie Fear, one of Cubby's ministry team, told the Denver Post that students and teachers, in a time of stress and tragedy, smiled when they saw the Lutheran Church Charities canine dogs. 
and how they would drop to the floor to pet Cubby or stretch out next to her and just relax. Quote, you saw the relief of forgetting what happened when they saw that dog, said Fear. She's called a comfort dog, and that's exactly what she did, bring comfort to people who were hurting. The National Lutheran Organization sent 30 dogs from around the United States to Florida in the aftermath of the shooting, according to the Denver Post. So that's kind of a cool little story. Just um, It's not a great reason why they were there, but comfort dogs absolutely help people in time of need. So We don't deserve dogs. <clears throat> I don't think we do. They're amazing. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to send it over to uh, Bjorn for our last uh, local story. On Sunday evening, CSU Facilities Management found flyers associated with a traditional workers' party. According to Austin Fleskis of the Collegian, the Traditional Workers' Party is a white nationalist group associated with other neo-Nazi and white supremacist groups. The flyers read, Diversity means fewer white people. It's okay to be white. Love your people, and if not you, who? These flyers are similar to other flyers that were posted around campus earlier last week. The other flyers also belong to a white supremacist group, one that goes by the name of Identity Europa. Del Rey Ciravola, a senior communications coordinator for the CSU public relations team, sent an email responding to the incident that said, The sentiments expressed are deeply offensive and do not reflect the values and character of the CSU community. CSU students are told that if they are affected by these flyers to reach out to someone in the campus community and express their feelings. Other colleges around the country have been experiencing the same type of racism. Yesterday, flyers were discovered all around the campus of Princeton University. The flyers made derogatory statements towards Jewish people and were inciting hate. Casper College had a similar instance where the facilities management found flyers from the Identity Europa Supremacy Group that read, Serve your people and our destiny is yours. And then I think this will bring us into a short roundtable. Yeah, absolutely. So here we are again. I think we had our first talk about the TWP uh, around a month ago, I want to say. But, I mean, here we are again. I'm talking about something that we probably should never talk about, and it's kind of sad. Um, I get that you know you're allowed to legally distribute um, stuff like this around campuses and around public places, but I think that just talking about another white supremacist group on air is kind of disheartening, especially just because there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a, there's a large political climate, and it's just not the time for these people to or ever be around um, places like Colorado State. What do you think, J.D.? These guys are, are terrifying, specifically calling out, like, the, the, the Europa group. They're a very professional and organized. Just, like, going through their website, it's it's almost, like, disheartening. It comes across as better put together than some of, uh, like, political campaign websites I've come across. And these guys have entire sections dedicated to re-education or affirming like a, a like a white supremacist identity and they sort of come across it as like an ethnic conflict where we've gotten this way through our superior european heritage which is just a, an absurd idea and like looking at like their application one of the key components is like they they won't even consider you a part of their group if you're non-european or have any type of like jewish heritage that's just absurd why why is this even like it's so un-American and it's like very visage and it just like churns my stomach to think about it, honestly. And the, the fact that like we're experiencing that here at CSU, a place I consider to be one of the more welcoming uh, places I've ever experienced is exceptionally disheartening. I mean, especially, you know, we just had John Geller on. He's one of the probably the few people in the United States who gives care to homeless pets. And you don't see that everywhere other than Fort Collins. So it is kind of disheartening to see something so... Um, volatile be a part of like you know everyday emails just where you check and it's like oh another white supremacist group is trying Mm -hmm. to uh, get followers on campus and it's when you live in such a great community it sucks to hear these kind of stories what do you think Raven? You know, I was thinking a lot about um, where we can kind of see a similar trend to this uh, in American history and if you really look at the 60s and the prominence of the KKK uh, you were kind of looking at a really similar national climate with a very divided political climate, uh, some questionable uh, interactions with other nations around the world. Uh, and I think, obviously, uh, Nazis are bad. That's not, not a question at all. But I think where this movement is coming from is an interesting question to look into. Um, you know, I've lived in Fort Collins my entire life, and I don't I don't remember ever seeing groups like this um, kind of in town. And, you know, my mom's lived here forever. My grandmother's lived here forever. And neither of them can recall this happening either, Um, which really just indicates to us that there is 
something going on right now that we need to to pay attention to and combat in order to slow or stop the momentum of groups like this. Absolutely, Julia. What's your what's your take on this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's like every email. It's just another. It's like great. There's another one, and it's almost like I don't want. The biggest worry when something like that reoccurs is worrying that you'll get like apathetic to it. Like, oh, it's just going to happen again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which it, I think we're kind of in that mindset a little bit. No, absolutely. Like we get these emails far more consistently than I'd, I'd like to. And it's like, oh, God, it's another white supremacist group. And that shouldn't be the reaction. It should be, whoa, what are these guys doing? Why is this happening? We need to we need to like sort of get out there and, and, and you know, have a counter movement against this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the silver lining in all this is that I think every CSU student knows that this is wrong and we're having an open dialogue and conversation and creating rhetoric to say that this is bad. Um, we're getting these public safety emails and we don't want to become unsensitized to them. But it is good that we're, we, as a community, we, we denounce these people. We have these conversations to where we say, look, this is, this is not right. Because mm-hmm. obviously diversity is, is the only way, and it's great, and it's amazing, and there's no such, there should be no such thing as white supremacist groups. So it's great that we have this conversation and dialogue and recognize that this is a problem that we have to take care of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, if you want to call or text in any suggestions, uh, sorry, I went into my DJ mode instead of my, <laughs> of my uh, news director mode. If you want to call or text in and get a part of the conversation, that number is going to be 970-491-KCSU. Um, give us your thoughts on some of the public safety announcements, some of the bias incidents on campus, um, and especially the white supremacy um, posters and stuff that we have been noticing more frequently on campus. Uh, once again, that number is 970-491-KCSU. CSU. I think this is going to bring this roundtable discussion to an end, but if you still want to um, send in your comments, we will feel free to um, read them on air after the break. Um, speaking of a break, we will be going to a quick break, but we will be coming back here with national news as well as our music segment done by our own Haley Justino, our local music director. So stay tuned. You are listening to uh, the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Tribal Rights Custom Tattoo, Piercing, and Body Jewelry is a proud underwriting sponsor of 90.5 KCSU. Located at 628 South College Avenue, Tribal Rights is open noon to 10 p.m. Monday through Saturday and noon to 7 p.m. on Sundays. More information can be found at tribalrightstattoo.com. KCSU thanks Tribal Rights for their underwriting support. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm one of two he- hosts here on the show, Gabe Peterson. That makes Julie Badalise. The other one. Yes, there you go. Finished <laughs> the sentence. Like, do you want to have a sentence for you? <laughs> Anyways, we're joined in the studio with J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. Hello, I do the news. Yes, Raven Color, our local... Local and community correspondent. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I do the other news. Yes, and we are joined in studio with Haley Justino, our local music Oh, director. hi. How's it going? So good. So good. Well, we're going to jump right into national and global news. And JD, you actually have the first story, so take it away. Last week, President Donald Trump announced the U.S. would be imposing tariffs on steel and aluminum imports, but details of the plan are generating concerns amongst Republicans, reports Kevin Liptek of CNN. Despite this pushback, President Trump insists he will not back down on his promise of a 25% steel tariff and a 10% aluminum tariff. However, after a meeting with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Trump said he would be flexible with how the tariffs affect Canada. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin announced on Monday that if successful renegotiations for NAFTA occur, then the proposed tariffs will have no effect on Mexico or Canada. Some of Trump's closest advisors have called for him to rethink the tariffs, like his former campaign advisor, the economist Stephen Moore, who has stated the tariffs could damage the economy and at the cost of American jobs. Supporters of the plan, like trade advisor Peter Navarro, insist Trump not back down and support his conservative base. Trump is considering various tariff exclusions, but this could lead to an overall aggregate increase in the tariffs for nations that are included. The final details of the tariffs are still in the works with an expected full release by the end of the week or at least early next week. 
So I just have a quick question. J.D., you're an economics major. Um, I don't know if you necessarily understand everything that the steel tariff is, but I guess in layman's terms, what does this mean? Uh, well, <laughs> what it, does it, it has mean? Uh, several different Im implications. I guess for me, I'm pretty in favor of free trade. I think it, it's a great way to bolster economic productive activities so by imposing barriers like tariffs and things like that you limit the productive capacity of nations obviously he's doing it to protect uh, domestic industries but that might not necessarily be the best thing it might put american automakers out of business or things like that as well as uh, damaging relations with like foreign producers and things like that how can so, it shut down American just because like they have certain industries in Mexico and certain industries like all around the world? Or uh, so with that, it's like uh, when it comes to producing, you want you obviously want your inputs to be as cheap as possible. So sometimes this isn't necessarily American inputs. These can be I don't know. I don't necessarily know like large steel depositories, but maybe you're an auto manufacturer and you get a lot of your steel from Brazil. Okay, this increases that price directly and forces you to use. Uh, an American quality steel, which may not be the best. A, a good example I can think of is the U.S. to build submarines, we usually import high quality steel from, from England, and this would directly increase the cost of that like rapidly. I know that they're one of the countries that are theoretically going to be excluded in this, but uh, it's things like that that okay. are going to cause uh, detrimental effects in the economy. Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, Julia, why don't you take away the uh, second national story? Yep. Uh, the deadline for the Obama-era Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program that protects undocumented immigrants who were brought into the U.S. as children was scheduled for yesterday, Monday, March 5th. In September, President Trump announced that he would be ending the program and gave Congress six months to come up with a legislative solution to immigration. Although the courts have relieved much of the urgency as the six-month deadline approached, DACA recipients whose applications um, are currently pending are now at risk until their applications are approved, according to the New York Times. Although yesterday was the deadline, court orders have forced President Trump and his administration to allow renewals. This means the government is currently no longer accepting any new DACA applications as of yesterday. And those who have applications waiting to be reviewed are at risk for deportation, according to NPR. Yesterday, DACA advocates uh, arrived at Capitol Hill to protest the program's deadline. Protesters chained themselves together and laid down in the streets near the Capitol, which led to the arrest of 87 individuals for crowding and obstructing, as reported by CNN. There were also protests and walkouts all over the nation in support of the Dreamers. There are 17,000 DACA recipients throughout the state of Colorado, according to an August article by the Denver Post, and about 190 DACA recipients who are, who are students at CSU, as reported in a September article by a source. Whew. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, Raven, why don't you take away the uh, last story? All righty. The Italian election was left in a toss-up after populist and far-right parties gained more than 50% of the votes, reports Jason Hirowitz of the New York Times. After German Chancellor Angela Merkel and French President Emmanuel Macron defeated far-right nationalist parties in their respective elections, the center-left Democratic Italian party was hoping to defend against their own. However, with strong anti-immigrant and anti-EU messages, parties like the Five Star Movement performed well and communicated a strong sentiment of frustration and anger among the Italian people. It is not yet clear who will become the governing party, but the center-left will likely not be able to bounce back from this election. The Five Star Movement, a populist party based on the internet, received about a third of all votes and are now positioned as a major political power in the country, according to political analysts. The far-right league, led by Matteo Salvini, who frequently calls for the expulsion of immigrants, won 18% of votes. Most of the other votes cast from far-right groups went to the post-fascist Brothers of Italy party. The established conservative party only won 14% of the votes. Former Democratic Prime Minister Matteo Renzi has made moves to make a coalition with the center-right party, but combined they do not have enough votes to govern the country. Political analysts expect to see Italy become less involved in the European Union, despite the fact that Italy was once the f one of the founding members. This election has been colloquially dubbed the throw-the-bums-out election. So that's fun. <laughs> well, thank you, Raven. And that leads us to our next roundtable, which is on... Italy. 
Italy. Italy. Yeah, yeah we'll do this. We'll do the roundtable segment after um, Haley Justino's oh. uh, music segment when we come back from break. <laughs> didn't didn't mean to jump the gun there. Oh, it's a, it's totally okay. <laughs> got excited. But that will conclude our national and global news. We are going to move on to our our sorry er our uh, <laughs> music segment with our very own Haley Justino. How are you doing? I'm so good. How are you all doing? I'm doing great. Wonderful. So there's a lot of cool new music releases or music set to be released in the Colorado music scene right now. The Burrows, which is a funky neo-soul band, just released an aesthetically pleasing music video a few weeks ago for their song, Oh My, What Will I Be?, which is off of their latest album, Got to Feel, which is currently in rotation here at KCSU right now. So you might be hearing that album spun every now and again if you tune in <laughs> uh citra a denver-based rock band released their latest ep mr copacetic back in february and rooster magazine did a short write-up about them in their quickie reviews section calling citra a loud pulsating group of dudes with ambitions beyond the local sphere furthermore with its laser quick riffs and epic tracks turned to 11 citra proclaims that rock ain't going nowhere oh yeah so <laughs> denver rock band sharon and the wind released their first single demons off of their upcoming sophomore album in i'm gonna mispronounce this <laughs> in Chiridian of nightmares a music video for the single is in the process of production and set to release on march 16th and the full album is set to release on april 13th music producer kurta is currently on to tour to promote their upcoming ep end of future park which will be released to the public on March 19th. They will be stopping by the KCSU studio on the 19th for a live in-studio performance and interview to give us a behind-the-scenes look at their new music and that new EP. So those are some things that you, you can be looking forward to uh, within the Colorado local music sphere, um, along with just a bunch of other stuff. Colorado has a, a great music scene, and we're really happy to be a part of it here at KCSU. So that's what I got for local music news right now. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. How do you... I mean, I know you're the local news director, so you're obviously local very music. Local music. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> you're very engulfed and you enjoy music. How yeah. do you how do you find these bands? Like how do you I, I don't even Well yeah. Um it's funny. So two of these bands on here, um, I knew two of the kids in high school. Oh. Um so that's a lot of stuff. It's just like old connections. Um to and then otherwise you just you get to know people, the people find you on Facebook, people just reach out to you, you reach out to people. Um, Kurta just reached out to me and was like, hey, I'm putting out an EP, you wanna talk about it? And I was Cover like, it, yes, yeah. always. I'm always open to talking <laughs> to people, basically about any music ever. So um, music lovers out there, uh, local at kcsufm.com, if you have some fire tracks you want to send me i'd be always open to that you have a ton of like in studios this this month yeah don't you? we're uh march we have a lot of in studios uh the week after spring break i think basically like the whole week is filled up um and then we're gonna we're also looking to start booking may uh april up and may also so yeah <laughs> it's gonna be a crazy couple next yeah. weeks but, busy busy yeah well, i guess anybody out there who's an aspiring artist just reach out to Haley. yeah again yeah. local at kcsufm.com loud yeah. rappers welcome yeah <laughs> always. always i'm always. open to any music honestly gucci gang <laughs> sorry <laughs> all right thanks Haley, for coming on yeah absolutely um we will be right back here in just a second we're going to talk a little bit more about italy um and some of their issues going on over there um and then we always got weather coming up so stay tuned you are listening to the rocky mountain review only here on 90.5 kcsu fort collins Hi, I'm Ryan Seacrest for RAD. Over 300 people in this country are killed every week by a drunk driver. That's the equivalent of two 747 plane crashes every single week. And the problem isn't going away unless we all do our part to stop it. So if you see someone who's about to drive after drinking, get the keys. Don't leave it up to anyone else. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Gabe Peterson, one of two hosts here on the show. Julia Battelise is my other co-host. The other one that was trying to talk and then decided not to turn my mic off. <laughs> we have J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent. Howdy, howdy. And Raven Color, our... 
a local and uh, community correspondent. I local was, and community correspondent. That's I, not the, <laughs> okay. I did. I was gonna say correspondent something. Anyways, I don't I'll know. get you a cheat sheet. Okay. All right. We'll <laughs> figure the it out. LWC right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll figure My it out. God. But before we went to break, we were doing national and global news, and we had a story regarding uh, Italy's elections, and I guess it's just another component to the rise of populism and nationalism all around the world. What do you think, JD, this, with, with Italy being a founding member of the EU and kind of trying to break out of it and kind of trying to uh, put Italy first as like we are here in America trying to put America first, what, what does that mean for the rest of the world? Is it, are we gonna see more tariffs on things like throughout the world? Is it gonna be more people? No? All right, well, take no, it away. No, no, yeah. no, no, I, wanna, just, I uh, kept going. You're, you're all good. Uh, I guess when it comes to that, Italy has, like, a lot of problems that have been plaguing it for a while. There's been a, a continual flux of immigrants from—or uh, refugees from conflicts within the Middle East, uh, and that's caused a lot of tension uh, racially and economically. There's also—Italy has a, a growing, aging population, which, uh, a, like, a shrinking working class has to support, which causes a lot of problems. There's also a lot of tension between the North and South, given the fact that the, the North harbors most of— the economic capacity within Italy, where the South has less so. So there's there's all these things that are sort of pulling the country apart, and the fact that they're taking a step towards uh, an Italy-first idea seems to be a direct response to that. And you see this not only within Italy, but there's pushbacks within, you know, France. Uh, Marine Le Pen was defeated by Emmanuel Macron. Uh, you have, you know, parties like UKIP within uh, the United Kingdom, which are very much like a, a United much Kingdom first. Pretty Brexit. Yeah, exactly. That that was one of their biggest uh, things. So it's like you start to see these these pushbacks, and it's really really putting phrase on the on the, the very liberal institutions that make up the EU. And as you start to get this pull away from it, I wouldn't be surprised if there was their own type type of like an Italian exit. I, I don't really can't think of a clever name that. <laughs> Yeah, no. It, exit? I don't that, know. No, it, 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 it doesn't, Anyways, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't <laughs> but, uh, matter. But. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a policy like that coming up from it, given the fact that there's this huge rise. And it, it's 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 just weird. It's a, it's a weird change in global situation, and I think it has implications that could get potentially like risky and even more dangerous. But if it just stays like, ah, oh, we just want our own sort of Italy first, our own like – solo endeavor type thing then it's probably just going to be bad for them in general mm -hmm. but not bad for anybody else i guess why is it that uh the north has more financial income than the south uh just it's where industry is located so that's usually where you know the economic capacity comes yeah. from and that's what uh someone texted in yeah. and mentioned that and they said uh in Italy, there's disparity between the northern and southern parts of the European Union because the north is much more financially stable. That in mind, it's not surprising that Italy would politically disband from the EU. I think seeing this happen to a couple of different countries in the EU and, you know, in its own way happening here in the United States, I think we're seeing the repercussions of what was a really speedy and extreme globalization yes. during the 20th century. Absolutely. Um, and I think there's a... a a lot of people feel as though they're kind of being neglected by their own country in favor of people outside of their country. Um, and I think, you know, that was a frustration that was happening 20, 30 years ago. But uh, with the economic downturn a few years ago, I think we're really um, kind of facing these issues. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that resolves. Is it the end of the EU? No. No? No, not at all. <laughs> I Continue. think... I think with this, it is it sort of separates those that were the members that were on the fringe of like where they they wanted to be, and and like core members like France and Germany, are it's going to completely strengthen that union. And if anything, I wouldn't be surprised. And don't quote me on this. This is just my own wild speculation. <laughs> March that if, six, two thousand eighteen. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> continue. If that there's like this in continued extremism within different countries. Well, maybe not extremism, but but populism within these 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 countries. I could see the rise of like a European super state where they sort of supersede their national identities to come together as, you know, the the ones who want to pursue more isolationist uh, activities leave. So, I mean, could that happen with like separated on like landmass? Could Italy do that with uh, Great Britain and like combine that state or? Are you oh, no, about that, I'm talking about like the EU itself. I, 
the UK and Italy would do their own thing, but you'd see like a, a coalition merger between like Spain and France and Germany and you know all like the, the other core members of of the EU. It seems like as those as tensions sort of dissipate beyond, you get this this emergence of it's like this joint shared European identity. And when we're also seeing Russia kind of chip into Eastern Europe. Exactly. And start to take back some of those governments uh, step by step. Yeah, the like looking at Ukraine is a great example of that. They've been sort of in and out of Crimea doing their weird Russian thing. Uh, there's been, you know, Russia as an example of, of population, populism on the rise. They've definitely been using that to sort of cement the autocratic rule of Putin. So there's there's this sort of wave that goes through. I mean, you've got Bulgaria and Hungary that have their own movements that are leaning more towards fascism, which is a lot scarier than just populism by itself. I mean, populism is by definition just uh, like the voice of the people, yeah. what they want. Um, so, it, it, But it definitely paves way for groups like Europa to sort of get their own little ideas in, which is definitely scary. Yeah, um. for sure. Well, I think that's going to conclude our second little mini roundtable. But thank <laughs> you so much, JD and Raven. As always, we are going to jump into our last segment as we are running out of time here on the Rocky Mountain Review. We're going to jump into weather. Yeah, it's fantastic. Our, so th- our boss was saying that we need fancy uh, fancy sound effects for weather, and she oh, said, sh- like, like birds chirping. I was like, I have an air horn on my phone. We go, beep, 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 beep. I don't think that that's a weather sound effect, though. It's snowing. Anyways, today's weather is a high of 47. It's currently 47 right now, so that actually kind of works out. It's going to get colder as the day progresses. When you fall asleep tonight, it's going to be mid-20s, so make sure you close your window. Shout out to me. I didn't do that last night. I was really cold. But moving on to tomorrow, Wednesday, it's a high of 53 with a low of 26. Looks like it's going to be mid-40s throughout the day. As you know, winter does, it's going to get colder in the morning, colder at night. So, And then we have our next show on humidity. Yeah, that wind, though, 8 miles an hour. It's not going to be quite like the 45 miles I think that we I think that we registered yesterday. I think that's what I heard. 40 mile an hour winds it was, yesterday. I thought I thought I saw like 25, but that was also earlier in the day before it like really yeah. picked up and it was bad. I don't know. Who knows? Fake news. Anyways, moving on to Thursday. <laughs> oh God. When we have our next show, it's going to be a high of 62, so it's going to be a beautiful day to drive around in your car, listen to the Rocky Mountain Review. It's going to be partly cloudy, but there is no chance of precipitation whatsoever. So again, go enjoy. Go to Horse Tooth, set up the hammock, listen to the Rocky Mountain Review, 12 miles and just per hour, enjoy man. all of us. Yep. 12 mile an hour winds. 12 mile an hour winds, but that's you know, that's nothing. That I saw a picture. I think it was nine news on Instagram of somebody's house out east of uh, I-25 and the entire front of their house was just covered in tumble tumbleweeds. Oh, God, I bet. Oh, my just God. Buried that is the most front rage problem yeah. I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> I couldn't get out my front door because the tumbleweeds done mocked me in. You sound like the old man in South Park. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like when he's talking about, you have a bad time. Anyways. All right. Well, thank you to uh, John Gallery came on earlier to talk about uh, the uh, what is it? Homeless Street Dog vet? Coalition. Yes, I was like, I forgot the official name. Um, thank you, Bjorn Larson, for coming on. Also, some of our reporters, uh, Joe Green, um, Katie Otter. Katie Otter. I always forget her. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry um, as Katie. well as our local and community correspondent, Raven Color, for coming on. Yeah, um, yeah. Our national news correspondent, JD Layton. Um, thank you so much to Haley Justino for coming on, our local music director, talking about some local music. Uh, thank you, Gabe Peterson. You're welcome. Thank me. Oh, thank you so much, <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been a great show. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back on 4 to 5 on Thursday, so make yep. sure you guys stay tuned. You've been listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.